Do you want to be a leader who gets noticed, gets things done, and gets real results? Then you need influence and authority. Join host Jennifer McClure to learn how to build authority, expand your influence, and increase your impact. This is the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure. You're listening to the Impact Makers Podcast with Jennifer McClure, episode number 27. Hey there, Impact Makers. Thank you for tuning in to this week's episode of the Impact Makers Podcast, where my goal is to provide you with tools, tips, resources, and information to build a career that you love and a life that matters. One of the ways that I do this is through sharing conversations with people who are out there making an impact in this world. My hope is that through hearing their stories, you'll be inspired to identify ways that you can make a difference and create more impact in the lives of those around you. You've probably noticed that many of the people I've had on the podcast thus far have impacted me in some ways personally, whether it's through their friendship or mentorship, their writing, speaking, or coaching, or by inspiring me through their actions. And today's guest falls into several of those categories. I first encountered Adam Martin when he gave a five-minute Disrupt HR talk in Fargo, North Dakota on October 12, 2016. If you're not familiar with Disrupt HR, you should check it out at disrupthr.co. It's kind of my side hustle, but it's more of a movement than a business because I think you have to make money doing something before you can call it a business. <laughs> anyway, we started Disrupt HR in Cincinnati, Ohio back in 2013. And since that time, there have been over 250 events held around the world and over 2,600 five-minute Disrupt HR talks have been given where people share new and innovative ideas about talent and the future of work. Over the last five years, I've watched hundreds of Disrupt HR talks, and not all are memorable, but Adam's talk definitely was. It was called Hiring People with Backgrounds, Looking Past the Data to the Person. And I'll link to it in the show notes for this episode, which you can find at jennifermcclure.net slash 27. I really encourage you to take five minutes to watch it. As any great speaker knows, the best way to begin a presentation is to start with an attention-grabbing fact, story, or statistic. You want to grab the audience right away, either by intriguing them, shocking them, or relating to them. Well, Adam sure did that. He began his presentation by standing in front of a huge screen sharing a slide that contained the details included on just the first page of his criminal history background check, and he opened by saying, I'm literally the last person that you would hire. I'm a five-time felon. Okay, sir, you have my attention. <laughs> that Disrupt HR talk back in 2016 was only the second time that Adam had taken a stage to share not only his story, but to challenge employers and really all of us to look at people with criminal histories in a different way. I've been following his journey since that time, and I'm really excited to provide him with another opportunity to share his story. As you'll hear in our conversation, Adam broke the cycle of being a repeat offender, not only through his hard work, skill, and determination, but also as a result of the grace and help offered to him by others he encountered along the way. And now that he's broken through, he's not walking away from his past. He's reaching back to help others. In 2016, Adam founded F5 Project, a nonprofit organization focused solely on rebuilding lives and communities through servicing people with criminal backgrounds once they leave confinement. F5 assists former inmates through coordinating services, providing personal support, training them in marketable skills, and connecting them with the right partners in the community in order to deter repeat offenses. And the hope is that once the former inmates have been rehabilitated, 
they'll return to help other inmates as they're released. I was moved to tears at least three different times during my conversation with Adam, and like me, I think you'll find his personal story and the work that he's doing today inspiring. I also hope that you'll carefully consider his request to not judge people solely upon their past history or background checks, but to look past that and see the person before you. His belief is that grace can provide amazing results, and we can all benefit from the opportunity to hit refresh. I absolutely love that, and I hope you'll enjoy my conversation with Adam today. Welcome, Adam Martin, to the Impact Makers podcast. How are you doing today, Adam? I'm good. How are you? Good, as I just mentioned. You look thrilled to be here. I wish people could see just the joy on your face. (laughs) (laughs) And you actually look like you're wearing a hoodie, and it's August. Are you already experiencing cold up there in the North Dakota region? It's actually uh, 56 (laughs) degrees today, which is not... I don't think it's it's normal, but I enjoy wearing hoodies to work. So this is it was <laughs> okay. it was nice. All right. So part of the uniform. Well, yeah. I share a little bit in the intro about how I've come across you and some of the work that you're doing. But I want to learn more as I do with with most of the people that I bring on the podcast. Well, actually, everybody that I bring on the podcast. Tell me a little bit about who Adam Martin is and what's your story. Start wherever okay. you want. Cool. Thank you. So I'm an alcoholic. I did a lot of drugs in the past. I have five felonies on my criminal background. So that was the what people saw when I got into the corporate world. And so a lot of the jobs that I worked were, you know, like at a car wash or maybe serving tables or whatever. And nothing against those jobs or whatever, but I just, I wanted to break that financial ceiling and and I wasn't going to do it in those jobs. So I took a chance and I interviewed with this comp- this uh, technology company. They gave me a job with uh, no license and no car. And they hired me as an outside sales rep. And they put some safety nets around me. So a lot of the crimes that I committed prior involved fighting and money. And so being a salesperson, being around people and money was a big part of the job. So the safety nets were is that I obviously we had accounting and we had services that took care of the money aspect. And and then the people aspect was as long as I wasn't drinking and doing drugs, we were fine. You know, so it went really good. I got a car and a license really quick because I closed a bunch of deals and made a million dollars for that company in my first year, a million dollars worth of revenue. Mm-hmm. Uh, which was unheard of by most, you know, people. And I had no knowledge of anything that I was selling. So it was very high level technology, like servers and network switches and wireless access points. And if you would have asked me what they did, I had no idea, but I knew people. Right. And I think that was something that I gained over a long period of my life being locked up. Mm -hmm. Right being in front of judges and lawyers and correctional officers and therapists and case managers at any given time, having to stay in a room with like 15 other guys, you know, and having no access to technology, I've really had to rely on social skills. And so I think that people coming out of prison and jail have a very high social intelligence about them because they haven't had to spend time in boxes, right? Literally Mm -hmm. like And if they were, that was with a lot of people. You had to spend time in a box if you were bad, you know, like isolation stuff. But the grand majority did not. About a year and a half ago, I left my job. My heart was set on fire to 
replicate the chance that I got, that technology company gave to me for a bunch of others that were coming through my hometown of Fargo, North Dakota. And so we started a housing project and an opportunity project, if you will, to try and get people connected into the communities as they came out of prisons and jails and treatment centers or homeless shelters or detoxes, whatever. But we came at it at like a for-profit mind rather than a non-profit business, right? So the difference is I come from business development and sales development, and we chase down our clients, right? We hunt them down. We see if they can fit through the funny shaped door, right? And if they fit with us, then we do business with them, right? And that was what I was taught. Like, we don't just do business with anyone. We do business with and build relationships and have that long-term engagement. Most nonprofits are not minded like that, right? Mm -hmm. They wait for people to come to them. So essentially, we went into the jails and the prisons and the shelters and started building relationships with people and identifying who would be a good fit to come live in our houses, right? And built relationships with them while they were living in the houses and tried to create an opportunity that they could seize rather than just giving them, not just giving them a chance, but giving away stuff, right? We're not giving them boots. We're not giving them clothing. We're not, you know, those are kind of byproducts, Mm -hmm. right? But they earned their keep, right? And so that was kind of the first stage is to build the housing network. Second stage was to make better work opportunities, right? And meeting with companies around town and trying to get them convinced that, you know, the people that are interviewing with them are not the data in front of you, but Mm -hmm. the effort that they're putting forth today. Yeah. Um, And the third stage is, is I'm trying to help guys start their own companies. And so far there's been a couple. And the way that looks is I take a small partnership with a guy who wants to start a flooring company or whatever, and he has majority ownership, but I'll help him with the taxes and, you know, the starting of the business, the marketing, the sales or whatever. And my hope is, is that when they have more stake on, it's kind of like owning your own house. When I'm leasing a house, I don't take care of it as well as I do when I own it. Right. Right. And so my hope is, is that we can identify some guys and help them start companies. And then in lieu of trying to go convince people to hire felons, we have felon business owners that are hiring felons. Okay. So, wow. I mean, that's a lot. So, no, we, yeah, we chatted before we started recording that there, you know, your thoughts about there might be dead air. And I'm like, no, no, I'm curious. <laughs> uh, I think we could talk for a long time. Yeah. Teed up so much stuff there. And so I want to, I put a bunch of pins mentally and several things I want to kind of go back and chat about. But maybe starting with your cold open there, I don't know that anybody's ever said the first thing out of their mouth is I'm an alcoholic and I've been, you know, been arrested five times. Tell me, you know, is there anything about your story kind of up until that point that you want to share about certainly looking back what you learned about yourself or how you ended up where you did? Yeah, I've taken full ownership of the things, you know, why I'm at where I'm at today, right? Even to the full extent where I've mentioned that I'm grateful to be a felon today because I can't imagine what my life would be like today if I'd done everything right. Indeed, nobody has. Right. But, you know, I think that I have a really awesome life today. And I'm not saying that I'm grateful that I committed felons. I'm grateful of my life today. And so I take credit for my failures and my successes. Sure. I do think that the same problems that we have in the prison industry for reentry is the same problems that we have in the educational 
like industry when it comes to, for instance, having everybody take the same test and expecting, you know, good results, right? Minds are different. Kids are different. People are different. Teachers are different, right? And it's the same thing when it comes to reentry, right? Not everybody is, some people have mental health conditions. Some people have, you know, another way of saying it, behavioral disorders. Some people don't need any resources. They just need a job, right? So it's holding everybody to the same standard, I think, is what started my downfall. Mm -hmm. I don't have a good memory. I have dyslexia and standardized testing without knowledge of those things really created a barrier for me. And I saw a picture the other day with a quote from Albert Einstein on standardized testing, where it had like, you know, a wolf, a fish, an elephant, a bunch of other animals. And it said, the test today is to climb a tree. Yeah. Right. And I feel like the more I dig into how schools are ran by that and how the government's got involved with the prisons and stuff like that, I think that we're falling victim to automating everything and standardizing everything and creating and it's categorizing people in such a way that failure is the only option. Hmm. And when you become a failure or you're deemed a failure, it's just another F, right? And so we have a nation filled with Fs because we mandated standardized testing in one way or another. So, and when you have that as your identification or your identity, you make bad choices, Right. right? I've seen some research come out about farmers who nine months out of the year, they have money and three months out of the year, they don't. And their behavior changes. Right? Interesting. And so when I wanted to break the ceiling financially for myself and then now for other people who have backgrounds is I think I'm not saying that money will solve the problem. I'm, what I'm saying is that it changes the environment. Mm-hmm. Right. And so if I'm living in a good home, you know, I've repaired family relations. I've built a healthy network around me. I think that behavior changes when that happens and then recovery is possible. And then other things are possible. It creates possibilities. So, which is not normal, right? Mm -hmm. When people come out of prison, we want to put rules on them like curfew and they have to do breathalyzers and you have to do drug tests on top of what their probation officer is asking them to do and then they're put on you know kind of a high watch when they're with their at work or whatever you know it's like playing tetris on a very high level like 77 when everyone else got to start on level zero yeah you know so did you have multiple appearances in prison or was there a final where you spent a period of time I was in a rotating door for a long time. From the time I was 13, mm-hmm. you know, in boot camps and juvenile detentions and, you know, what what have you, foster homes, all the way until five years ago when everything just changed, you know. Yeah. And I, and usually the following question is, what was it? Well, that, I was leading to that. You saw me going there, yeah. <laughs> so what was it that last time that you said I'm not going back? Honestly, I have no idea. I think the things that were in front of me when I was 18 and the things that were in front of me when I was, you know, 30 were the same, right? The prisons were the same. The jails were the same. The rules were the same. The drinking was the same. Like everything was the same, which I think to my benefit was perfect. I think, I don't think that between 18 and 30, I was a failure when it came to recovery, when it came to being sober, when it came to working, being a father, any of those things. I think those, the failure 
identity was given to me by other people. Mm-hmm. I think that just like any startup, I had lack of funding, right? I had lack of seed money, if you want to call it that. Like the job I had wasn't producing a lot of money. The resources I had for mentorship were not grand. But I think it was success in process, right? Just like any startup, you know, mm-hmm. nobody is a millionaire with their startup company overnight. It takes years and years and years. And I think that when we start looking at recovery or sobriety or people coming out of prison the same way we look at entrepreneurs, I think then that's when it's going to change, mm-hmm. right? I'm an entrepreneur in my recovery, in my life, in business, and I'm learning as we go, Yeah. right? And having the expectation that someone's going to stay sober or not commit crimes the day they get out of prison is like the mindset that an entrepreneur is going to be a millionaire within a year. Wow. Never thought of it that way. So you mentioned, you know, getting that first job, not having any experience, not having, you know, a lot of the things that probably would have made you the typical hire. So it sounds like there was someone who reached into your life and took a chance on you. Is that correct? Yeah, there was, you know, and I don't want to, you know, I worked at, you know, car washes. I worked at, you know, I had a lot of those jobs and they provided, they provided the chances before the higher up kind of positions were ready for me, Mm -hmm. you know, and if you think of it, like, that's just like the entrepreneur lifestyle, except I was working for someone else, right? Right. I started at the bottom and I worked my way up and Mm -hmm. the people, you know, that took the chance on, and some of them gave me a chance because they had a role that needed to be filled, right? right? And they didn't have anyone else. The other ones, they took a real chance, right? Like they had other people they could have hired, but they decided to go with me. And so uh, like I got into the sales world Back in 2000, I mean, define sales, right? I was serving tables, that's sales, right? Sure. But my first cold calling job was like 2006, and I got hired at High Point, my, the game changer kind of place, in 2013. I got mm-hmm. hired there. And they took a chance. They had never hired a felon before. Was um, that because you had a relationship there? I mean, like you said, there were a lot of potential barriers to your employment outside sales when you aren't able to drive and you also bring some challenges with you. That would probably not be the first job I'd think for somebody like yeah. yourself. <laughs> so was there somebody that you had a relationship with that said, I'm going to give you because I know you a chance or they just it just happened? I think it was like a series of fortunate events that led up to that moment. I knew someone who worked there and he was known at that company to have a little bit of a background, but he was never caught. Mm -hmm. Right. And if you've worked in the sales industry or whatever, you know, that salespeople are a different breed. They're just a high, like, you know, a lot of drinking, a lot of networking, a lot of kind of all over the map, maybe ADHD, some are bipolar, like it's just, it's a different breed of people. And I fit right in, right? And I had lost my job at a competitor to this company that I was, and I lost it for drinking, right? Okay. I wasn't performing, I was drinking on the job. I was kind of the smelly guy, right? Like I didn't have a lot of friends there. I didn't have any alliances there, you know, that would go to, that would advocate for me. So I lost the job and they were super graceful about it and awesome about it. They're just like, it's just not a good fit. Mm-hmm. And my guy told me, he was like, Hey, you should come apply over here. And I'm like, dude, I'm done with sales, technology sales. It's just too cutthroat. I don't know enough about it. I don't have a good memory. He's like, just work for this company and they'll invest in you. I promise. And they know you got a history. And I was like, okay. I'll give it a try. And I interviewed and they had like eight people in that interview. And I honestly, because I think they had never met 
a felon face to face. You know what I mean? Like they were probably just, it was like going to the zoo for them. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And there was another connection there. I was a part of a Bible study many years prior. And the owner of the tech company's dad was in that Bible study. And I had no idea. And his dad just happened to come to the office and he saw me in there. And he went in the other room and he advocated for me to his son who owned the business. And so Hmm. knowing I didn't have a license, knowing I didn't have a car and hiring me for outside sales, I think originally it was going to be inside sales. But after meeting with me, they put me in outside sales and took a chance. Hmm. I took the bus. Like after I got hired, I took the bus. I rode my bike. I did everything. And it's... Was that because you felt like they were taking a chance on you and you wanted to live up to their expectation? Or do you feel like you just reached a point in your life where you're like, I'm going to make this work or both or what? It was both. Like, I didn't want to lose the job. It was way beyond the means of anyone I knew around me that had like the same scenario. And so it gave me a little bit of purpose or confidence that like I had just moved it to the next level. Right. Right. Uh, And then the other thing is I wanted to get rich. And I knew the only way I was going to do it is if I hustle harder than everybody else. Sure. Well, do you know, and of course, some of that feeds into the work that you do now that we'll talk about. You know, it's been a while since I've worked directly in HR and I know the world has changed and the hiring environment has changed. But there were reasons or rules, I guess, or policies against hiring felons in the places where I work. You know, you give them a background check, comes back with a felony. Sorry. We can't hire you. So did they just waive that for you? Or was that just not a policy that they had at the company in general? Yeah, I think they never really had it in place. They were still, you know, at the time, probably considered a small business. Mm-hmm. I think I was employee number 30 mm-hmm. or something like that. They have like 150 now, right? Mm-hmm. And they've done some great acquisitions and some unfortunate years. And I think it's still not in place if they're considering hiring someone who doesn't pass a background check, they meet with them. Right. And I think that's the change is that because I did such a good job there, they're not willing to hire felons, but they're willing to meet with them and see if they should hire them. I love it. Right. So you obviously developed some success there and stayed there for a while. And you mentioned some of the skills that maybe you brought into the job that you had accumulated because of who you are and the life that you'd lived. Could you have a story or an example of how you were able to kind of use those skills to really be a success in your job? Yeah, I have my favorite one. I knew that my competitors had a leg up on me for a few reasons, right? One, they probably had reliable transportation of their own, (laughs) which was pretty normal, right? Two, they had probably been in the industry for a while, so people knew who they were. And I didn't have those things outside of like, maybe I could catch a ride with a coworker that was willing to come to the sales meeting with me if they had time to, you know, like I constantly was like not only having to build relationships outside of the company, but inside the company to try and make sure that I could just at least be at sales meetings. Yeah. You know? And it's a lot of pride and ego that had to be like deconstructed to be able to ask for a simple ride. And let everybody know at the company that you don't even have a car. Yeah. And so early on, I had to just basically just have the identity that of no identity. Like, it doesn't matter what people think of me. Because at the end of the day, I need to make money. I need to feed my kids. I need to pay child support. My needs might be different. And so I'm just going to have to just, like, not care what people think. 
mm-hmm. right? Because later I'm going to be put in a position to where I can be a game changer. And that was the only thing that really kept me going. Because mm-hmm. uh, I had had many other reasons, like I'm going to do it for my kids. I'm going to do it for this. But deep down, none of them, they were all great motivators, but they never kept the longevity of my attention to want to be better. Right. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds crazy. Like my kids don't make me want to be better. They do. Yes. But they also jam cookies into my DVD player right? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> or the, whatever. That passion wears off. <laughs> ebbs and flows, maybe. <laughs> flows, yeah. So I met this guy. He was the IT director for a commodities company. And, you know, the first thing that I did is I basically called every IT director and was like, I'm new. I just want to come over and introduce myself. Are you OK with that? And a lot of them said, yeah, they love the new guy card. Right. Probably get better deals because they can take advantage of them or something, you know. And I met with this guy and I was just completely upfront with him. I'm like, listen, I'm not new to the industry, but I'm new to this company for a reason. I'm trying to start over and I don't have a car, you know, I don't have a, you know, whatever. I just gave him the kind of the story and it built trust with him. And there was one thing in my industry that was not actively being built, right? You could build a product portfolio. You could build a bunch of relationships as a, as a guy who is funny or delivered or whatever, but nobody was building trust. Mm -hmm. Right. And the only way to build trust is if you're transparent. And I basically just, and it was interesting because I'm trying to build trust off a person that has been deemed by the state is not trustworthy. Yeah. Right. And so I laid it all out for him and he didn't buy anything from me, but we stayed in contact. And when he I was like, if you ever need anything, you just let me know, like inside, outside of work, whatever. I'm here for you, man. I like you. I think you're cool. And about a month later, reaches out to me and he's like, hey, the last time you were here, you said that you used to do drywall. And I was wondering if you could help me with my drywall in my basement. And I'm like, Okay. <laughs> I'm a sailor. Like, I sell technology gear, you know. And, but I knew that if I didn't do stuff like this, that I'm going to have to build my value in other aspects other than what my job is. Okay. Right? Because people like to buy from their friends, you know, because they could probably get deals, but they also know that they're making money and it's just kind of a network of people. And so, I go over there and I help him do his drywall. And he was like, oh, you're bailing me out, man. And my wife is just like super mad at me because I've been promising to do this and I don't know how to do it. And I don't want to pay a ton of money, you know. And I was like, yeah, no worries. And we got it done. And then he offered to pay me and I needed the money. Mm -hmm. I needed it bad. I didn't even know how I was going to pay rent. I was renting out this little one. I was renting a room from a guy who had a house. Yeah. he was graceful enough to let me stay there for a month without paying rent. And I had to come up with $600 and Shane was willing to give me 300. But I learned from my mentor that to basically sacrifice the short term for the long term play. Right. Mm -hmm. And I really wanted to be friends with this guy, but I also wanted to do business with him too. And so I did not take the money. Okay. You know, and I walked home and I was kicking myself in the butt. I'm like, man, I really, I needed that money. Like, and about three months later, he uh, reached out to me and he had a huge phone voice over IP system deal for me. And he decided when we went through the RFP, there was one part on there where you got 50% of the points based on relationship. And all of my competitors scored higher basically on the product. They scored higher on the brands. They scored higher on the processes. They scored higher on the project management because he had never done business with my company. 
but 50% of the points went to the relationship and everybody else scored a zero on it. And I scored a hundred percent on that. Wow. Right. Yeah. And we got to do, and he's became, he's still a client of that company to this day. And that was how I won over my clients and how I believe that I did better than everyone else because I knew people, I knew how to win them over and I knew how to build trust when my competitors were always looking for the low hanging fruit. Interesting. So, wow, so much to take away from that, but you're in Fargo or were you in Fargo at the time when you started this? So it's not, not a huge community. Did you ever encounter situations where maybe a potential client either knew of your background or found out about it and said they didn't want to build a relationship with you? Uh, no, actually, it, it, well, good. it was Those a- North Dakotans are so nice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Fargo no, nice. <laughs> I, I would say that uh, if they did, there was a lot of people who didn't respond to me. And that may have been the reason. But no one ever came out and said that I'm not doing business with you because of your background. If anything, it created there's a lot of people that wanted to hire felons. Mm-hmm but they couldn't because of the corporate structure. And they found like, they kind of found it like they were damning the man by doing business with me because I was a felon, (laughs) you know, but there were some contracts that I couldn't be a part of, like with the department of justice or, you know, the FBI or something like that. Um, But they could do business with the company. I just couldn't be a part of the process. Okay. So how long did you work at that place? I worked there for four years. And then left there about a year and a half ago. So tell me how that decision came about and what you're doing now. (laughs) I had no intentions of doing what I do today. My goal, you know, was that I wanted to become one of the executives of the company that I was working at. And I could see, you know, it probably would have taken a little longer, you know, because I didn't have any special qualifications that would have set me apart from being an executive like the other people there. You know, the other guys, my counterparts were bringing in lots and lots of money. So they, if it was between me or them, they're going to get it. Right. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't an accountant and I had never ran a business before and I didn't have, you know, so I was really just kind of the culture guy <laughs> who also was, did sales and brought money in. Mm-hmm. Um, so it would have been a long-term play and I think I could have waited it out. But what, for me, I got asked to speak at this United Way event and they wanted me to speak because someone had heard that I had been in poverty and they had heard that I had been homeless before and they wanted me to speak on that, mm-hmm. right, yeah. and being successful, right? And it was in front of 800 professionals in our community. Wait, what? Was that your first speaking engagement? It was my From first. Zero to 800? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the Disrupt HR one that I spoke at was my second one ever. Oh, really? Yeah, well, and it happened. Though, you were already like you were in the big <clears throat> 800 people. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That was my very first one. I went from zero to 800. And it was a 20 minute talk. And I basically just told my story. And before I even got off stage, the local newspaper was reaching out. And the I had a bunch of text messages from clients saying, hey, I have this loved one who's in prison. It didn't so much shine a light on me, although it felt cool to kind of be the center of attention on that. It really shined a light for me to see and for the community to see how big of a problem drugs and alcohol and coming out of prison and homelessness was in the community because it put a face to it. Yeah. Right. Because it's really easy to just drive by that guy holding a sign because you don't really acknowledge him. Right. He's there, 
but you don't have to interact with them. You're in your car. You can just keep driving. Well, now you have someone who's a part of your network, mm-hmm. right? Who was in a part of that problem. And so I lasted probably another, I don't know, six months at my job. And I just got overtake with people reaching out saying, can you help my brother? Can you help my mom? Can you help my whatever? And there was always been a flicker to do something about it in my heart, but it was really fan the flame after that. Because I don't care how much limelight I get. It's really humbling when I have to read the emails that I read or receive the phone calls that I, you know, or the prisons I go speak at or the jails and having to hear, you know. And so we turned it into a nonprofit and uh, started housing guys and started doing peer supports and speaking at jails and prisons and schools. It just got, you know, it was just me a year and a half ago. And now I have four people that work for me on the F5 project side. I started a sales and marketing firm that specializes on hiring guys that are coming out of prison and putting them on the phones and doing lead generation. And I got six guys on that side. And then I've started a couple businesses with guys who are doing flooring or what said, you know, so it was just me a year and a half ago. And there's probably a total of 12 of us in some facet now. That is amazing. Again, I have so many questions. Do you have like, I'm sure you have lots of success stories and some stories that are still, you know, future successes in development. Is there one from some of the people that you've served since you started the nonprofit that you can think of that would be helpful to share about what you've been able to help somebody accomplish? Yeah, the most recent one is watching a guy who his case manager had reached out to us a couple of times about getting him into our houses when he got out of prison. And somehow it kind of fell through the gap. Like I didn't see the emails and I don't know if they sent like they sent them to me. But for some reason, I never responded to him. But he was like completely like sold out to live in our houses. And he showed up in Fargo without a plan, without any connection to us. It told his PO that he wanted to live in F5. And his probation officer called me and said, I got uh, your new guy, Mike, who's supposed to move in. And I'm like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And But I was like, I'll come over and pick him up. And I went over and I picked him up and he had a duffel bag, he had his prison clothes on. And I recognized him as soon as I picked him up because he had came to some F5 meetings that we have in the jail. And he told when I picked him up, I was like, you know, it's crazy that you're here because we actually have an open bed and that's rare. And I was like, so what's your plan? He's like, I'm going to move into F5. I'm going to stay here for a while. I'm going to get a job in flooring. I'm going to work for that guy for a while. Then I'm going to start my own business. And I've heard like the grand designs, you know, and I kind of just let it, you know, in my mind, he's like fantasizing, but he's never going to actually provide the effort. Right. Mm -hmm. And on Saturday, this past Saturday, I went with him to put in a floor with the company that he started. Wow. And he's still sober a year later. He's still living with us a year later, which isn't normal either. Usually it's about three to six months. He's got a van. He's got all the flooring tools. He's built up the presence of Goodfellas Flooring is the name of his company. And he's been in the black uh, financially with that company since about a month after he started it. And it's just been really super awesome to watch. Well, I think it's interesting that... Even for someone like yourself who has been through that experience and had somebody believe in you and you obviously have seen other successes that at least initially you didn't, you said it's just a fantasy story when you shared yeah. with you. Well, it's, you know, you get used to, like when you're in prison, you're in jail, there's a lot of guys that have really grand stories of what I'm going to do when I get out. 
Sure. Right? And I've, I've met guys who've never been to prison that are that way too. Everybody has dreams, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody has the idea, like, if I just made this magic invention, right, that I would be a millionaire. If I hit the lottery, this is what I would do, right? But I rarely come across people who actually do it. Sure. Right? There's too much fear. They'd rather work for someone else that did it. Yeah. Because there's security in that. And it's why we put cameras in our businesses. It's why we have background checks, right? Because we're scared. Yeah. Like, what if it doesn't work? And the cool thing about with with people who've been locked up is it didn't work. Like, we've already hit the bottom. Yeah. Like, the worst that could happen for me today, like, let's say I, I made some bad financial decisions and I lost everything. I've already been there. Right. So there's no fear in that for me. If that's the worst thing that's going to happen, then I'll just start something else. Mm. You know? And it would be a struggle, but it is what it is. So what does F5 stand for? Or does it stand for anything? If you look on your keyboard, there's an F5 there. And every time you hit that, it refreshes your screen. Um, I love it already. <laughs> Here I was thinking yeah. it stood for family, friends, and whatever. No, it stands for, it's a double entendre. So I also have five felonies on my record. And I definitely could have used an F5 key in my life. And that was kind of the idea is what would it look like if we created an organization that had unlimited grace, right? Oh um, and so, you know, we're not perfect. I've made decisions, you know, that have, uh, I wouldn't say harm people, but in a judgmental way, like, and I'm learning as I go too, but that's the goal is it's a pretty high goal to have unlimited grace because somebody could do anything. And what if they do? What if they hurt us? You know, you've made me cry three times already. You got to stop this. <laughs> <laughs> that is amazing. Unlimited grace. I love it. I will never look at the F5 key on my keyboard the same again. That's, mm. that's wonderful. I love it. So you mentioned the United Way talk where someone just said, hey, tell your story. And you're like, sure. Were you sure. nervous? <laughs> Had you spoken really anywhere, like in front of groups or anything before? I mean, most people don't yeah. start their speaking career that way. Yeah, I had had a couple opportunities over the years to, you know, speak at like some anonymous like AA functions and stuff like that. But nothing like 800 professionals. They usually, when I was speaking, it was in front of people who were just like me, mm-hmm. you know, and this was the first, and it was kind of an eye opener for me because they had accepted me as one of their own like professionals, yeah. you know, and I had never, you know, I was used to serving their tables and they'll see that too. When I'm out to have drinks, right. I don't drink, but I'll go out and have, you know, I'll go out and hang with guys that are having a couple of drinks after work or something. And a guy will come and serve our table and I'll see that he's full of tattoos. And they, I always get asked, like, they're like, you're like super nice to like, you know, to people you don't even know. Right. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, yeah, but I know him. Like I know him. Oh yeah. You know? Like I may not know him by name, but I know we're cut from the same thread. And my goal is, is that I want to pull him out of there and put him in a position where he can, you know, work his way up in a corporate store. Like, I hope that all the guys that work for me eventually leave and go work for some really big business and make a crap ton of money and, or they stay and they help me continue to build this momentum. And, you know, it doesn't like, in my mind, like I want people to outgrow me, Yeah. you know, because I know what it's like to work for a company that gets mad. If you think about leaving, you know, how would dare you? You're never going to do better than what you're doing today. And it's not true. Well, I'm sure now that you have have, uh, had 
some of the success you've had very short time into your nonprofit and your business, but now you're getting asked by more, I guess, employers to kind of share how we can tap into the community that is really a huge untapped resource. And do you have a stat on kind of what the numbers are of, I've seen some from, from other talks, et cetera, about the number of people that will be either are out of prison or coming out of prison who are an untapped labor pool? Yeah. It's actually been a really good resource for us too, like where our houses are. They weren't the best houses when we started, but we had some really good talent that was sitting in our houses, right? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we'd buy the materials. And this was kind of what was the game changer for us is landlords started reaching out to us, asking us if we would rent their houses, right? Because so F5 will, will assign the lease of the house and then they give us the okay to have whoever we want to live in those houses, right? And they don't even know who's living in there because F5 is the one who's the leaseholder, right? Yeah. And that was why we got so many houses so quickly. We have like seven or eight houses now. And so the landlords were the ones that I wanted to win over first because in Fargo, it was really hard for a felon to be able to find a place to live, hmm. right? And if you don't have a safe place to live, it doesn't matter where you work. It doesn't matter, you know, how good your family connections are. Because when you go home at night and you feel like you're constantly in survivor mode, it's only a matter of time before you want to feel good. Yeah. You know, even if it's a false good, you mm-hmm. know, but like you could have a safe place to live and your family could be out of whack or you'd not have a good enough job and things could get better. But for some reason, when it comes to not having a good place to live, that was the one thing that would destroy everything. Right. To answer your question, when we would go and talk to people like employers and stuff and talk about this untapped labor pool, they already knew that it was untapped. They wanted to hire felons. They've never had a good experience with it. Mm -hmm. And so I'd have them define, what do you mean not a good experience? Was it one felon that did something wrong that you completely blanketed and judged any person that comes in here? Mm -hmm. Right. When we ask people not to do that about us, right, because of one bad Christian or one bad Muslim, or one bad white guy, or whatever, right? You can't blaken a whole group of people based on one person's actions. But for some reason, they couldn't bring those two thoughts together when it came to felons, because a felon did something bad. Mm -hmm. And so they automatically thought it was okay that you could judge all of them. And when you have the conversations of the majority of the people that are in the North Dakota prison system, you know, are addicts and alcoholics who made a bad decision while they were under the influence and then ask, you know, how many people in here has gotten behind the wheel after having a couple too many, mm-hmm. right? And then they start identifying with them, right? Yeah. Like this guy went to jail because he got drunk after he found out that his his wife was cheating on him or something like that. Like life happens. Some mm-hmm. crazy stuff's going to happen to people and they make bad decisions because of it. Should we dictate that they should never have a good job or a safe place to live for the rest of their life? Or should they serve their time? And after they're done serving their time, let's give them a shot. Mm-hmm. You know? So are there, I mean, does it really just take individuals being willing to kind of like, it sounds like with your first sales job there, somebody that's willing to at least talk to a felon and take a chance on them? Or are there things that companies, systems that they should be putting in place or both? I think we should be having some real conversations. I think that sometimes when we have these conversations, we send the people that are like freedom fighters, right? (laughs) To have those conversations. To be honest, it pisses people off, right? Like I know like there should be value to hiring somebody. Like I'm hiring you because 
you're going to be a value to my organization. This is a capitalist like nation, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that in some regards, that's really awesome. Some it sucks, right? Like I think on the social level, capitalism sucks. But um, <laughs> <laughs> but on as a business, like, and you want to you want to make more money. I want to make more money, right? And I think a lot of times when I got hired on, it was because they knew that they were going to get someone who was talented for a very low wage. Mm-hmm. As crappy as it sounds, yeah. but that's how you do business: buy low, sell high, right? And so when I got my job, like I was making ten bucks an hour doing lead generation where I know that the company was making a crap ton of money off of mm-hmm. me. Yeah. When I finally got my game changer job, they hired me at a very low salary, lower than I know they hired everybody else at, but I earned my keep after that. Right. Yeah. And so I think that it may be socially a high risk to hire someone with a felony background, but financially or the gamble is low. Right. The financial is lower than it would be to hire someone who's straight out of college that is expecting much more because they have a degree. Mm -hmm. Right. And so I get asked to speak at colleges a lot because like they've done some surveys on workforce and they ask, they're just like, why is it that felons like when we finally do give them a chance, why they produce better than someone who's had a college degree? And I've even had college professors tell me they're like, Adam, like with your life experience and your street experience and your like just your tenacity to be able to take risk. If you would have gotten a college degree, you would have been unstoppable. Right. Who's to and, say that you're not like, you don't need it. <laughs> right? I don't need, I, you know, and if I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer or something, yeah, I could see that. I, but I personally don't need it. But they'll ask me, they're like, we're getting responses back from employers of our college students when they go to work for them, that they're not that they're entitled or they have this millennial mindset that's kind of been branded, but that they socially, they're not engaging. Yeah. Right. They're waiting for people to tell them what to do. Right. They don't know, you know, how to do ordinary everyday things. And it's because they've spent so much time in an institution being taught and educated and no on the job training where guys like myself has had to spend time bussing tables and, you know, or serving them and getting to know people and being in rooms of, you know, 50 guys that are all felons trying to navigate who I should talk to, who I shouldn't talk to. Like, um, and where college, you don't really have to do that. When it's interesting, I have a son who's in his twenties, I guess he would be considered a millennial. So I have kind of a view into that world, but I think at least my perspective, I don't like talking about generational differences so much because I think all of us now, we fall into kind of the instant answer mentality of the world. You know, I Google it or I ask somebody on social media and I, if I don't get the answer, then what I see with not just this generation of people, but also even people my age, we kind of like, well, if we can't find the instant answer, we just stop. then there must be no answer if Google does not return a search result. And that tenacity, that perseverance, that drive that you're mentioning maybe comes through its survival at some point and you learn those skills really can be transformed into something that can help people long term. I listened to a podcast, a rich role podcast, and I need to go back and find it because I've shared what I heard so many times 
where he talked with a guy who's an ex-felon who's now like a vegan ultramarathoner or something like that. (laughs) And he does some work going into organizations and he has some workshops where he sets up like common things that people do in prison where they have to figure out a solution, like making something out of a plastic spoon or, you know, whatever. And he gives that same challenge to people in the corporate world and they can't figure it out. They fail utterly. Because the different level of creativity and thinking required with the limited resources and in the environment that they're in versus what people who are often sitting, you know, with resources all around them can't get into that kind of creativity and that mindset of figuring out a way no matter what. I need to go back and find that. And I will try to do that and link to it in the show notes because I think it's a great example of what you're saying that that's untapped ingenuity that we just need to reframe differently in the workplace for a lot of reasons, not just because there's a pool of people out there that need it and many deserve a chance, but also because there's talent shortages and skills gaps all around us. So we're going to have to find workers somewhere. Mm-hmm. And don't just look at it as settling. Look at it yeah. as these are diamonds that if we can help them get polished can really shine. I think. Yeah, that would be a, a thing that I would, if there was anything I could change the minds on, it's not necessarily you should hire felons. It should be, am I not hiring him because I don't think he deserves it or because he can't do it, right? Well, well to be honest, you know, you mentioned, and I'll just maybe be a little vulnerable here. Of course, again, I worked in the corporate world for almost 20 years, was in HR. I at a couple of places of employment, tried to partner with some halfway houses and some organizations to, quote, give people a chance. And and to your point you made earlier, I can think of several examples where that worked out very poorly and dramatically poorly. I don't remember the examples where it worked out well, and I'm sure there were some. But I guess even myself, you know, would kind of go into that, well, if I want to do this, but I have some fear around it, how do you help employers with that? Yeah. Well, I think the, then I would ask you how many poor examples, or not poor examples, how many people that currently work for you or have worked for you that weren't felons, you have the same experience, right? Most of the people that I've encountered and had a real conversations about the people that they're hiring, they can name off a couple of people that weren't felons were a bad experience. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And they can do the same thing with people with felony backgrounds, right? And so I'm like, listen, there's probably people that work for you right now that are stealing from you that don't have felony backgrounds, yeah. right? There's probably people that are going to quit or not show up or have a few too many drinks at the party. Like every day, everything is factored on trust and risk, Mm -hmm. right? And so I would just say, if you're going to take the chance to hire a felon, bring someone in who's had experience, right? If you want to utilize me in the interview, I'll do it free of charge, right? Mm -hmm. I'll help you interview the person or have him call me after he's done interviewing with you and I'll do a second interview interview with him. My goal isn't to get every felon hired, right? Because I know there's some people out there that shouldn't be hired at that level, right? People that are very high maintenance or very high, like it's just not a good move. I want to just even out the field where, like, let's not just hire them because you think that they don't deserve a chance. Mm-hmm. Let's, I want to hear someone say, I didn't hire that guy because I knew he wasn't capable of doing this high level of a job. Mm-hmm. Right. Not, I don't think like no one's going to come out and say he didn't deserve a second chance. Right. Yeah. Cause it's not cool to say that, but deep down you judged him as someone who probably didn't deserve a chance. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because he's a felon, not because you didn't think that he was capable of doing the job. I don't know. It's hard to explain. I just we just want to see an equal opportunity across the board. I'm not looking to have 50 felons work at the at a company and you're only hiring felons. I do that. You don't have to worry about that. <laughs> well, um, maybe one more question before I can't promise one more question, but I'll try before we yeah. wrap up. But you mentioned that you would offer to do interviews for free and or, you know, do a second interview. What would you be looking for or asking that maybe someone else wouldn't? There's two things that I look for. I want to know what you did, right? I want to be able to like look at your background check and it be accounted for. Everything that you did on that background check is accounted for in the, our discussion. And, and, and I, I should probably that. know this, but that's legal to ask? What, what, what they, do you mean? It's legal to ask them what they're what they did, what their record is, what their felony convictions are in an Well, I would imagine if we can run background checks on people, they should probably be able to talk about it. Okay. Right? So you'd ask what they did. You have to ask the HR people in Fargo (laughs) (laughs) because maybe I'm a little different. Like, this is the same thing that happened to me when I got in the housing organization. I did a bunch of things we weren't supposed to do. So, and I- Live and learn, right? (laughs) Yeah, live and learn. But- For me, even with like guys that are coming into our houses and stuff, right? Felons are not a protected class, right? And like, I actually like that because then that means that we can do things differently and we don't have to, and we can, we can problem solve. We can try this. We can try that. We're like, you can't like disqualify someone from housing because they're an addict or an alcoholic because they're a protected class, right? So I want to try and build this as we go. And if I had to, if someone was a protected class and we had to hire every single felon that we interviewed because they're protected, like it's not going to end well, right? Right. So not being a protected class is actually an asset for people who are felons, right? That's how I see it. So as long as they can look me in the eye and tell me exactly what they did, right? And then what does their effort look like in their life, after they got out of prison? Like, what are you doing today to ensure you're not going back to prison? So what do I look for when they're answering that? I'm looking for people who are investing their time. Like if they're an addict or an alcoholic, they're actively going to recovery meetings. They're sponsored. And I personally look for people who are giving back, right? Mm -hmm. Like people who break off that that status quo in their mind that I have nothing to offer people, Mm -hmm. right? If you think you have nothing to offer people, you're not going to be a good employee. Like I'm looking for people who think they may even be egotistical. Like I got a lot to offer other people. I'm going to the homeless shelter. I'm spending all this time with my kids. I'm doing good things in the community. That guy, I'm going to hire right on the spot. I won't even ask my board of directors. I won't whatever. But if a guy shows up to me and he's just like, I don't really do anything but go to work, I'm not going to hire him. I need to see someone who's changing their life out in the community for them to know that they're not going back to prison. I love it. That's great advice. I mean, I think that's great advice, whether you're interviewing a person with a felony record or not. What what are you actively doing to better your life? (laughs) (laughs) I know, you know, most of us don't want somebody just going to come in and clock in, clock out and go home, or at least not for some of the more leadership level positions in our organization. So, well, to me, again, you win the award so far for most tears from me in the interview. <laughs> that is a coveted award that I'm sure may stand for a long time. I just think the work that you're doing truly falls in the category of being an impact maker. And I so appreciate what you're doing. And I appreciate that what you're doing with that work is helping to 
teach others, not only the people that you want to bring into the workforce and to help change their lives, but also the people that can be a part of that. So thank you for doing that. How can we support you or the F5 project or organizations like yours? Well, like I tell everybody, we always, we rely on financial contributions and we're not working with, you know, we're not helping save dogs or, you know, kids or anything. So we're not very well sought at, you know, Mm -hmm. because we're helping felons. But I do think that people who have felony backgrounds are the single point of interest in every industry, right? Mm-hmm. Family, business, spirituality, that everyone is affected by them. And I think that if we can help change people's lives and in, in this single point of interest, many industries get better because of it, Absolutely. right? Our website's fiproject.org and you can look for us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram, but anything people can do financially or even donations of clothing and stuff like that is uh great help. You can always speak for 800 people or more, right? About Yeah, I can speak if you ever need a speaker. <laughs> pay, my, pay my way. <laughs> I adore and love and will never forget F5, refresh. What if we were all offered unlimited grace? That's amazing. So thanks, Adam. I appreciate you taking the time to chat with me today and for the work that you're doing. Thank you. Appreciate it. It's time for you to get noticed, create change, and grow your influence. Don't waste any time. Subscribe to this podcast and help us get the word out by leaving a review.